Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you guys today. I wanted to start off this morning uh, by just asking a couple questions. I want to ask you, you know, what did you think about why you came to church today? Was it to ch- check off the church, church list? Uh, was it to tell your family or friends that you went to church? Is it to, is it to worship? Is it to learn from God's word? Is it for donuts? Um, which is a big reason why a lot of us come uh, this morning. And I also want to um, start off by prayer. Um, just praying against any distractions that, that any of us may have. You know, you, there may be something that you're like, hey, this is the thing that's distracting me right now, or you know, just kind of thinking through what could potentially distract you from experiencing what you're supposed to experience today. So I'm gonna, that's how I'm going to start off this morning, just praying against those things. So God, I pray uh, right now against distraction uh, from our, the different things that are going on in our lives that we come into this room uh, thinking about, having feelings about. Um, I just pray against distraction. I pray that we can continue to experience you in the way that you intend for us today. So that person, that thing um, that seems to be uh, popping up in our heart and mind, we just lay that at your feet and we, we give that to you right now so we can experience what you have for us today. In your name, amen. So one reason I came today was to see my buddies that uh, I got to see at Man Weekend uh, last weekend, kind of follow up, say, hey, how was this last week when we came down the hill? Uh, this is a group of guys that were up at Man Weekend. We had a great group of guys up there. You know, it was great weather, sitting around the fire, hanging out, had adventures, worshiping, you know, opening up God's Word together, sharing it in small groups. And uh, it, was, it was fantastic. Something just happens when we get up there. Um, that is just special and unique every single time. You know, the Lord does something in, in our hearts and minds. So I want to invite you to come next time. We have one. We're considering putting it back in May of next year or con- keeping it in October, but we will let you know as soon as we know the date of that. But one of the funny things that happened, and it's funny that I got a chance to throw uh, Frisbees at you guys, was we were playing a game called Beersby. And in this game, there's basically two poles that are set up about 15 yards from one another. And there's a bottle on top that's covered in duct tape so it doesn't break. But the goal is there's, there's a team on one side, two people, and then uh, two people on the other side. And you throw a Frisbee and you try to knock the bottle off of the pole. And the goal for the other team that's on the other side has to catch the Frisbee in the air or else you, the other team gets a point. And you have to catch the bottle at the same time if it falls from the thing. So it gets kind of crazy trying to catch this and who's going to catch what. Well, some guys were playing, they're like, this isn't good enough. We need ultimate Beersby. So then they, they said to themselves, let's, let's throw a Frisbee from either side and just have, it, have you know, two Frisbees going. And that got pretty crazy because as, as soon as you release it, you're like waiting for this next one. And then they said, no, 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 no. We need ultimate, ultimate Beersby. So every person had a Frisbee. And there were four Frisbees flying and I have a video that I would just want to show you just really fast so you can kind of see what happened. I did slow a couple of them down. At the top right there, Zane actually catches two Frisbees at once, which was pretty amazing. And then the next throw, he catches a Frisbee, and the other one doinks him in the shin. Uh, so check it out.
You never know what's going to happen at Man Weekend, right? There's good times. By the way, I did not play that game because it scared me half to death. I was not going get to in, get into that game. Uh, today's message is called Follow the Leader. Uh, did you ever play that game when you were a kid where you, know, you have a line of, of kids and the person that's in the front is the leader and you did everything that that, that leader did if they jumped up on the chair or they rolled around or whatever the case was? And things got interesting if the leader did something that the rest of the people had a harder time doing, right? The kind of goal was to make them do something that they would be uncomfortable with or you know, have a harder time doing. And I think our faith is like that in some ways. As we follow the leader, as disciples of Jesus, sometimes there's things that Jesus does that are a little harder for us to accomplish. And that's what we're going to talk about today is being disciples of Jesus. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And Jesus describes for us what it means to be his disciple. He says we need to deny ourselves. We lay down our own plans, and we we put ourselves on the back burner for his purpose. We take up our cross, or we hand over our, our sin, or our ideas, our plans for his plans, and then we follow Jesus. We do what Jesus does. It was very common in Jesus' day uh, that, that locally in the synagogues there would be a teacher that would teach kids and, and teens uh, the scripture. Uh, they would call them rabbis, and so in each of these local synagogues or churches there would be a teacher or a rabbi. And kids would learn, they would study, and they would memorize scripture. And you would, they would start at age four or five. Boys and girls, about four or five, would start studying the Torah, or the the first five books of the the Old Testament in Hebrew, or the Pentateuch, if you're saying it in Greek, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Many of these kids would memorize all of those five books. The best of these students would memorize all of it. And I don't know what you were doing when you were four or five. I wasn't memorizing the first five books of the Bible. I was still trying not to wet the bed, but, um, oh, sorry, that was inappropriate. Uh, so they would, they would continue on in this study if they were good students. If they were good enough, they would stay and, and continue to memorize. And by the age of 12, they would get to a place where the best of the best have continued to stay and study under their rabbi and have memorized all of the Old Testament. Many of these students would study and memorize the Old Testament, the best of the best. Now, a lot of these kids didn't stay in it, one, because they, they couldn't compete, they couldn't study, they couldn't memorize well enough, and so they would leave the, the program or the teaching. And a lot of them had to leave because their family needed them. Their family trade to, was to help provide for their family, so there, there was either they weren't good enough or their family needed them to help be a part of the family trade. But the best of the best of the best would continue on up until age 13 to 18, and then they would actually become disciples of their rabbi, disciples of their teacher. And they would, at that time, age 13 to 18, they would literally start and go and do everything that this rabbi or teacher did. They would do everything that they said. They would eat the same things that they ate. They would follow so closely to them when they were walking on these dirty, dusty, hot roads that their dust 
from the rabbi would come up onto the skin and the clothes of the disciple. And there was a saying uh, during that day that they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your teacher. And that's how it was related to Jesus. Most of these teachers or rabbis would start around the age of 30. And that was Jesus' age about when he started his ministry as well. And when he started to ask people to be his disciples. Now, some of the the guys who ended up being Jesus' disciples were disciples of John the Baptist. So they kind of transitioned from John the Baptist to Jesus, which meant that those disciples were the best of the best. But the rest of the disciples that Jesus called were tax collectors, lawyers, fishermen, which meant that they were not the best of the best in regards to uh, students or that they were needed in their family trade, so they had been a part of their family, which meant they would have had to give up a lot. They were either the best of the best and they transitioned from John the Baptist to Jesus or they were needed in their family to help provide for the trade and then they just gave that up and followed Jesus. It cost them a lot. Jesus calls all of us no matter if we're the best of the best, to be his disciples. No matter our education, our history, our ethnicity, our gender, our socioeconomic status, or our sin. Jesus calls us all to follow him. And this is illustrated in the story found in Matthew 14, where Jesus had just sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee as he went away to pray by himself. The storm hits, These disciples, when they're in the boat, they're scared. And Jesus literally walks out to them on the water, and they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. Let's read this account here, Matthew 14, 22 through 32. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, and he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, there's several things in this passage that I think show us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. First, Jesus valued the disciples being together as they followed him. He not only didn't ask just one person, but he asked 12, and ultimately more, but he asked these 12 to follow him and follow him as a group. He didn't say, follow me, and then you know, send them on their merry way as individuals. He, he wanted them to be together. 
Jesus calls us into community with other disciples. It's, in, it's his intention that we follow him with other people. Part of being a disciple of Jesus and his leadership is choosing to live in community with other disciples of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus models the importance of taking time to pray. He left the crowds and disciples to be with his Father in heaven and draw strength from him. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is doing just that, valuing prayer and time with our Father in heaven, especially getting away alone to do so, being in community with other disciples and being in prayer with our Heavenly Father. Thirdly, storms will come as we follow Jesus. We will get scared, and we will have to choose to be fearful or not. And I was reminded this week that do not fear, or a variation of that phrase, is the most common command that we have in Scripture. It's said that there's roughly 365 do not fears, or do not be afraid, or do not be anxious in Scripture, and it's, it's said that there's one for every day of the year. Now, I'm not sure exactly God was like, hmm, I'm going to put 365 of them in there, one for each day of the year, but it's kind of fun to think about, right? And how can we have a posture that is without fear? When, when the storms come, when those things enter into our lives, how can we have a posture that is without fear? It's because we have Jesus in the boat with us. When Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples, the storm goes away. Jesus joins them in the storm. Storms will come. Damage and pain could be a result of those storms, but we get Jesus with us in the midst of it. Fourthly, the uh, takeaway from this passage about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that we have the power to be like Jesus. Jesus. Jesus literally walked on the water. That means that we can too. We have the power that brought Jesus back from the dead in the Holy Spirit in our lives. The story goes, Peter calls out to Jesus and says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat, starts walking on the water like Jesus did. Then he gets scared and he he starts to doubt. And then Jesus says, you have little faith. Now, I don't want you to miss this part because this, this was super revealing to me. Jesus didn't doubt himself. Jesus was walking on the water. He was very confident that he could do that. Jesus was also confident that Peter could also walk on the water. As a disciple of Jesus, we not only need faith in Jesus, but we need faith that we can be like Jesus because Jesus believes that about us, So we need to believe that about ourselves as well. I think Peter not only doubted Jesus' power, but he doubted that he could be like Jesus and continue to walk on the water. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is in each one of us, and we have the the power, no matter who we are, what we've done, to live like and surrender to Jesus. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is following his leadership and not only believing in that power of Jesus, but also what he believes about us, that we can be like him. When I was in college, I was elected to be the student chaplain at the school my senior year, and that involved me taking leadership of the weekly chapel service that we had. So I would either teach or I'd find someone else to to teach. 
um, you know, and, you know, help lead worship and, you know, find a team for that and different elements in the service. And it, it scared me, one, because it was just a big commitment. But there were, you know, 3,000 students, uh, professors and faculty that would, would be there. And so I felt a lot of pressure to, you know, to do well in that position. And so I had to come to this realization that Jesus wasn't surprised that I had this position, so I needed to believe not only in the power of Jesus, but the power that he would equip me to do the job. And when I was getting closer to marriage with Kristen, it became, I became pressingly aware that I would not only become a husband when we got married, but I would also become a dad to a four-year-old daughter. And that scared me. But I had to come to a realization that God knew we were getting married, God would provide, and he believed that I could be like him. I just needed to believe I could be like him as well. And when our family made the decision to adopt the two boys at age six and eight, I had no clue what to expect. Actually, it took me years to even get to a point where I said yes to something like that. But I needed to be able to, you know, figuratively step out of the boat, walk alongside Jesus. He had the power, and he knew we could do it. We just needed to believe in him and that we could be like him. And we have to do this in our everyday lives as well. It doesn't have to be these big things or you know, adding to your family. We can have victory in every circumstance in our life if we allow Jesus to do that. We can admit when we've been wrong and we can confess. We can stay away from gossip. When we're tempted to lie, we can tell the truth. We can resist temptation to lust or to choose sexual sins. We can be generous even to the point of giving everything away if we are called to do so. We can take that step of faith into that new job or that relationship or conversation that we need to have. We can lose the weight we need to lose. We can have hope again. We can choose forgiveness rather than anger and bitterness. We can foster that kid and serve the least of these. We can be kind to a coworker. We can invite our neighbor to church. We can love our enemy. We can humble ourselves and get the help that we desperately need because of who Jesus is and because what he believes about us as well. So the four things we take away from this story of, of Jesus and Peter walking on the water is discipleship is meant to be done with other disciples. Well, we're meant to be with others in the boat. Time set aside to pray and to connect with our Father in heaven. That when storms were hit, we don't have to be afraid. And that we need belief in the power of Jesus and belief we can be like Jesus. Another aspect of following the leader or being a disciple of Jesus, I think, is humility. Um, I'm very humble, actually. <laughs> I'm like the most humble guy I've ever met. So... Um, actually, I googled uh, jokes about humility. You guys want to hear one? This is just for fun. Uh, a rabbi, a Hindu, and a lawyer are in a car. They run out of gas and are forced to stop at a farmer's house. The farmer says, there's only two extra beds, so one of you is going to have to sleep in the barn. The Hindu says, I'm humble. I'll sleep in the barn. So he goes out in the barn. A few minutes later, the farmer hears a knock at the door. The Hindu says, sorry, there's a cow in the barn. I can't sleep next to a cow. The rabbi says, I'm humble. I'll sleep in the barn. A few minutes later, the farmer hears a knock at the door. It's the rabbi. He says, it's against my beliefs to you know, sleep in a place where there's a pig, and there's a pig in the barn. So, so the lawyer is fo forced to sleep in the barn, and a few minutes later, there's a knock at the door, and it's the pig and the cow. 
Sorry, Lou. I love you, bud. So that's kind of a, you know, humility slash lawyer slash terrible joke. All right, that was for free. Um, it, it says in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, this is talking about humility that Jesus models for us. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue did knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we can see, God rewards the humble. He does it with Jesus, and he'll do it for us as well. Now think about this passage. Think about this. Jesus existed in the form of God, yet took the place of a servant. He was in the form of God, yet chose the position of servitude. We should serve people in obedience to God, like Jesus, even to the point of death. And humility, it takes on many forms, right? There's different ways to be humble. I think it's particularly important, though, that we focus on uh, an aspect of humility that, that our culture is struggling with right now, we may be struggling with, is just admitting when we are wrong. Admitting when we are wrong. How do you feel when you are wrong? How do you feel when other people know that you have made a mistake? It's embarrassing, right? It doesn't, it doesn't feel good. Uh, the feeling of being wrong, though, doesn't happen until we realize we're wrong. We, we can't have the feeling of, of the embarrassment or the humility of being wrong until we realize that we are wrong. Because what we do and say we think is right, we think is correct. That means that there are things that you and I do that potentially are wrong even right now. It's safe to say that there's, every person in here is doing something or thinking something or believing something or have a perspective about something that isn't perfect all the time. That's why we need to be like Jesus in humility, study God's word, be in relationship with other people, and just seek humility to understand the ways in which we may be wrong or incomplete or incorrect. Let's accept the fact that we are not perfect and that there's something about the way we think, the way we treat others, think about others, think about God, that we hold on to lightly, in a sense, to be able to be shown where we are incorrect. Humble ourselves in that way. I remember before I even met my wife, I had incorrect or wrong perspective about her. Because I was told that she would be the person I would marry before I met her. And she was told, and I knew this, she was told that I would be the person she would marry. So I kind of went into meeting her for the very first time with a big chip on my shoulder. Like, okay, who thinks this person is good enough for me? <laughs> Quite an arrogant position. Uh, so I kind of had these, these feelings or thoughts or perspective of her, and then I met her and I kind of, I probably brought that perspective in and I thought she was kind of snotty or snobby. She thought I was cocky and arrogant, which she was not wrong. <clears throat> um, 
But over time, as I got to know her, I realized that I was wrong. I was incorrect. I had a perception of her that was not right. And I'm glad that I allowed myself to, one, admit that I was wrong, admit to other people that I was wrong, and allow myself to change and have a different perspective. I'm so glad that I allowed myself to have a different perspective. But we need to be open to the fact that there are things that we are incomplete with, or incorrect, or even wrong about, wrong ideas about people, wrong about the side we have chosen on a certain debate or issue, incorrect or incomplete perspective about certain organizations or movements that are happening, wrong about how we have handled certain situations, wrong about how we've communicated with others, wrong about what we've posted or done on social media. Are you humble enough to be open to being wrong? Once you realize you're wrong or didn't do something in the best way, are you then willing to admit it to other people? I had a friend who told me this week that he has prided himself on when he realizes he is wrong, he quickly goes to his family and and admits what he did wrong, confesses, asks for forgiveness. So when he's patted himself on the back for a long time for admitting when he knows he's wrong, But God was challenging him recently to go further with that, to actually ask his family, hey, how do you think I've responded wrong? What's your perspective on what I could do better? And he admittedly said, I'm scared to ask. I'm scared to ask. So he was choosing to step into that, one, admitting that, sharing it with other people, but then pressing into what it would mean to ask his family that question. That's humility. And Jesus is the perfect example of humility. He was never wrong himself, so he didn't have to say when he was wrong, but he gave up his position as God for a position of a slave, even to the point of death on a cross. You know, it's a small price to pay for us to admit when we're wrong, to confess especially in comparison to death on a cross, and that was the example that Christ gave us. It's the opposite of how we feel about saying I'm sorry or admitting that we're wrong, right? It feels like strength to kind of never be wrong. But in actuality, there, there is strength in saying and admitting when we are wrong. It's not weakness, it's strength. It's actually, it's a funny thing, One of my favorite things in life, it's kind of a funny favorite thing in life, but one of my favorite things in life is when I see people apologize or admit when they're wrong. There's just something that happens in that moment that just draws me to people when they they are humble, when they admit when they're wrong, when they apologize. There's just something powerful. It gives a gift to the other person, and it gives a gift to anyone who knows about it. So as we, as we follow the leader, as disciples of Jesus, we do what he did, say what he said, and we submit to his teachings. And then we get to be a part of God's story. Now maybe you're doing a great job with these things. Maybe you're doing a great job about being in relationships with other disciples. Maybe you're doing a great job about spending time alone with your Father in heaven and, and drawing strength from him. Maybe you're doing a great job about you know, believing you can be victorious because of who Jesus is and what he believes about you. Maybe you're doing a good job of not being afraid when the storms hit. Maybe you're, you know, really humble like myself and you're just doing a pretty good job with humility. Either way, though, whether you're doing a great job with those or a few of them, 
or none, I want to challenge you with this question. What is it about Jesus' life and his teachings that is the hardest for you to follow? What is it that he modeled for us? What is it that he taught that is the most difficult for you to fall in line with or to obey in that way? And I want you to think, I want you to ask yourself why. Why is that the thing? Why is that the thing that I struggle with the most in being a disciple of Jesus? The invitation to follow Jesus is for everyone, and we get to be a part of God's story in that way. Let me pray. God, I thank you that we get to be your disciples, that you call all of us, no matter who we are, what we've done, uh, to follow you and to be your disciple. Give us the strength to press into that. When we answer the question of what's the most difficult thing for us to, to follow when it comes to you, encourage us. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us the power to, to have uh, strength and victory in that way. And then we get to give you the glory at the end of the day. Your name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. We have our prayer partners over here. If you'd like to be prayed with, prayed for, you can submit your requests. You can submit them online uh, this morning. Uh, make sure you stop by and see Michelle at the table. Uh, talk about signing up for the North Cares event. Um, have you ever seen a TV sitcom that has like a laugh track in the, in the background? You know, like this you know, generated like, hey, this is the time you should laugh at this joke, and they kind of play these little noises. In the, it's less common now than it used to be, but they literally tell you, they cue you when you're supposed to laugh. And if you've ever seen a live audience like the, you know, late night show or something like that, and, and when you're in the audience, they'll put up a sign that says applause. They cue them to clap, or they cue them to laugh, like this is when you're supposed to, to laugh. And I think it's similar to our faith. We could take cues from our culture. We could take cues from other people. We could take cues from a lot of different places. But the cue, the cue we should be taking for our life and our faith is the life and teachings of Jesus. And that's where I want to land this morning as we follow him as our leader. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.